0: And welcome to episode 123 of Habs Unfiltered. I'm your host, Blaine Putney. And we are joined now by a special guest, Jason Paul of waveintel.org. Hi, Jason.
1: Hey, how are you boys doing?
0: Good, good. And uh, joining joining Jason, just because, you know, they help pay my bills on, on this show, Matt Smith.
2: Good morning, guys.
0: And Treg, I have Bell... With a John Liu package,
3: Wilson. Yeah, I might be in and out. I don't know. I got the John (laughs) Liu Bell package going on here. (laughs) Perfect timing for freezing
0: up. That looked amazing. So um, (laughs) That was not planned. (laughs) (laughs) Not planned at all. But uh, yeah, so people watching on YouTube may see Treg freeze up a little bit. Uh, We apologize in advance for having his face on longer than it needs to be. Uh but we're gonna just dive into the habs, news, notes, and everything in between with Jason, who's been kind enough to come on today and talk a little bit about that using advanced stats. So um I've got my, my Texas instrument calculator ready to go. So why don't we just kick this off? Uh Matt, you had you had you had a question to kick it off.
2: So um Before I logged in, you guys were kind of discussing a little bit about Jeff Petrie and uh, Edmonston. And I'm just wondering your opinion on Edmonston's game in relation to how Petrie has really taken off this season and uh, isn't just putting the puck in the net, but he's more or less just rounding out as a, a solid top four defender.
1: Yeah, I mean, at the beginning of the year, I was I had my thumb on that uh, that pairing to see how long they were going to take to uh, to gel, and uh, to tell you the truth, I think it's been a, a bit up and down just from the eye perspective. Uh, and I think last night could be a microcosm of Petrie's year. I mean, I thought you guys watched the game. People on Twitter were saying, "Well, it's you know some pretty big gaffes they were making, little miscues here and there," uh, and in the end, they washed out um not so great five on five they were minus one they had a couple of high danger chances against um their shot metrics were okay but then petrie scores a goal and assist on the on the power play right so all that washes away so i mean when i look at the the data petrie was had a fantastic year last year he had just an incredible underlying uh statistical year um and this year, it's not quite as good, but he's putting the puck in the net. That's just hockey, right? So I think there's there's some inflated, um, there, there's some hot air a little bit in, in what's happening with those two guys. The, shot, the shooting percentage is high for them. They're line mates. We can expect that stuff to come down. But the good news is, is the underlying data, the shot metrics, five on five, look really good.
0: Now speaking of five-on-five play and the game last night against Ottawa, that the Canadians finally won, thank God. Um, just looking at the five-on-five play, it it kind of the eye test made it seem like the Habs were getting a little bit more touches. Did did your stats that you compile kind of match up with that? With, for instance, zone entries and exits and uh, possession time.
1: Yeah. So last you just talked about last night. Yeah, yeah. last night they had, a, again, another decent game just with the shot metrics, the expected goals and the Corsi and all that kind of stuff. Class, pretty much classic. Uh, but what I thought was a bit of a difference was the, some of the microstats that you see me pump out once in a while, the transition stuff. Uh, lots of attempts by Petrie uh, exiting the zone, but the two ones that stuck out were Suzuki and uh, K- uh, Kakenyemi. They were much more active than they have been recently with the exits and the entries and they're fantastic and kind of like the bubble in the bubble. It was one thing that I saw. I saw that um, Deneau's activity for transition was very low, but it's kind of the style he plays. He plays deep in his own end. So he actually chips it to his wingers who get it, who get it, who get the puck out and kind of the same thing in the neutral zone. He defers to his wingers, whereas Kakeniemi and Suzuki, as you see, they, Hang on to the puck. They carry it. They, they take command of the game uh, that way. And so you get you get higher quality, in my opinion, you get higher quality um, play when your centers, those guys, are making nifty passes in and out of the zone. Right. So that's what we saw in the bubble, and last night was identical. Uh, I think Suzuki had um, the most entries last night. Uh, Kakinami had some really high controlled entries, and the fail rate was very low, which means they weren't. Mucking up, so that looks good i just I just feel that that's a change in how Duchar must be you know asking his players to play
0: now, further on to that with the with the five on five play and especially the transition play uh the my eye test sh- uh, told me that the team was a little bit more active in actually generating their transition game, so there was a lot more controlled zone exits in my view um namely with Romanov. Romanov seemed to have, oh, whenever he had the puck, it seemed that he was able to transition it under control. Did that Did that match up with the stats?
1: It did. It did. He, he looking at some of the previous games, he was not controlling it. And last night, uh, we have him down as four controlled exits and only one uh, failed and no dump attempts, right? So, it, like, to your point, uh, the style of play he plays, right? So he had four. Petrie had six controlled exits, but he had way more attempts, right? So, um, yeah, I I thought Romanov played fantastic last night. I, uh, he, it, him and Kachanamy seem to have more confidence, right? So hopefully we see a bit more of that.
0: Now, do you feel that that's and this is not basing it on advanced stats only, but your view and your eye test? Do you feel that they have more? Uh, they're playing a more confident style, a more competitive style now that they're the Ducharme has taken over
1: I think it's still too early uh I think last night uh, I think you saw the tweet I tweeted out you know so sobering assessment was that they actually didn't win the five on five game they you know they were minus one and they were saved by their penalty kill and power play which is what we have not seen all year just imagine if they had an average special teams all year we would not be having this conversation yeah Julian would still be there. I mean, he, he, Julian left a team that was number one, five on five goals for. He left a team that was number two, five on five goals against that. That to me is like, you show that data to someone and say you're firing that coach. That's got the best five on five team in the league. It's just crazy. It's not expected goals. That is actual goals. So it really shows that the power play and penalty can just kill you, kill your confidence and kill your ability to get out of jail free, you know, win a game just by scoring a goal like Petrie did last night.
0: Yeah, the the Canadians are definitely not the Leafs when it comes to that.
3: Yeah. Uh, Craig, you had a question. If I can get it out. Um... (laughs) So
1: (laughs) so uh, and he's frozen. And, and I didn't get it.
3: I'm back. I'm back. So the power play is three for seven with uh, Ducharme. What do you see is the big difference and the big factor uh in why it's improved so much in the the little amount of time that he's had?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's too soon to look at the the data if you're asking me for the data piece. But um and I haven't looked at like the shot maps or anything like that. But just just exactly what you guys see, right? Like just the eye test is saying they're they're giving the torch or they're giving the baton to, you know, Kakanyami, Suzuki, the forwards instead. It doesn't look like they're deferring as much. I, I, I noticed a few times that they deferred quite a few times, five on five and on the power play at the point, but that's going to happen. I mean, that's still a good play in hockey. You can't, you're not going to completely eliminate that, right? So I just really like um, the attempt for the seam pass last night, um, even if it fails, you, you're causing confusion and uh, uh, for the defenders, and that is worth something. Um, I, I think. Are you guys Mary? You must be Mary Lemieux fans, right? Well, yeah. I I love Mary Lemieux, and and I think he was just the most magical player ever to play the game. And I remember him saying stuff like this. One of his quotes was, "You know, on the power play, when I'm when I've got the puck." at the hash mark or like near the he used to play near the goal line kind of right he's like if i don't have a play i'm just flipping it to the front of the net because because you're just causing confusion and you have to trust that your players are gonna fight for it right and i just think the habs just with their power play in the past they're just they just didn't have the confidence to try those plays and they're doing the simple play so i like that they're trying those plays and they failed a couple times and and some of them looked really risky, some of those cross-ice uh, seam passes, but worked.
0: Yeah, Kotny I uh, he he got almost two full minutes at, uh, at five uh, on the power play, and <clears throat> he was able to create a ton of offensive opportunities from the half wall. So that seemed to be an adjustment that was brought on by, um, by Burroughs, by letting him just go in and and play a little bit more. They're taking advantage of his strong play and letting him create. Cause he, he, that's his strength. He has that vision. He has that hockey IQ, let him create on the power play. And it's, it paid off with a couple of power play goals. Um,
1: Yeah. And he was on with Suzuki. Right. And I don't think we've seen that before. And Suzuki kind of stayed in the middle. It's it's just putting all your power uh, on, on the one plane. I think that's fantastic. I mean, uh, you got so many more options when you have both those guys on the ice. That's right. I mean, the one thing I would say about Kakenyemi and a couple of guys said it on Twitter last night is that, I mean, he was playing on the power play before, you know, he was kind of getting the secondary and it wasn't working out and his confidence was low. And it's just amazing how when you start him and you, they must have give, pumped him up and given him some confidence, uh, it, it looks a lot different. It's amazing.
2: Yeah. Over the and last couple of games, it's looked, really, it's looked really different with him because we saw, as you said, with the secondary chances or, you know, the tail end of the power play. And it just seems like he was just forcing his shots too much or just trying to force a play. And oh. either he was throwing it into traffic or he was just shooting it in the goalie's chest and killing the play. So last night it was, it was fantastic to see him just being just using the uh, instruments in his toolbox he was passing he was shooting and it kind of gave the power play a little bit more um, danger I guess and they weren't just referring it to their defense and just shooting it on net
1: yeah exactly and I I think the confidence thing is um, is a big issue with this team and I and I, I think Ducharme I'm still not sold on whether I, I love exactly how he's doing it. Um, again, going to the the fact that he started to know and the the, the uh, OT the other night. Um, the fact that you know they did they had the lead last night, so it's a little bit different. But when you have a hot player like Kokamine, you can clearly see he's he's focused. You got to run with him, right? So I want to see a bit more of that. I want to see like I'm 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 actually live in Ottawa and I watch the Sens quite a bit, and the magic to their to their you know success a little bit of success this year is the fact that they've they've given the responsibility to the young guys they kind of have no choice but and it just they just feel big and they, and they know that it's their responsibility to do something if you keep kicking those kids back for Denno and for Perry it doesn't feel like their team uh, the shootout that that Julian fired got fired after to me when they sent out Perry and I love that guy I love the signing but it sent a message to the rest of the team. Like, is this Perry's team or is it Kakenyemi's team? Is it Suzuki's team? If you want those guys to feel that way, you need to put them in the, in the response to the high, the high responsibility uh, spots, in my opinion. I brought up a
2: point after the, uh, after that loss, the fact that they didn't use either of those guys. And I brought up the fact that the Canadians are always tweeting out these little videos And it's showing a lot of the youth, right. I'm not going to say screwing around at practice, but they're, they're practicing their shootout moves and everything. And we know that they're not going to play. They're they're not going to use some of these moves, obviously in a game. However, the skill is there. The shootout is a skills competition. Why not utilize them when you're showing them off as much and give them their opportunity to shine instead of using some of these uh, say more veteran players.
1: Totally agree. I totally agree. I mean, that goal that Norris scored on Carey Price is going to carry him for two weeks. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, Confidence-wise. Yeah. Yeah. And you missed out on that opportunity to give that to Suzuki or Kakenemi. Yeah. yeah so. Now,
3: uh, Ducharme hasn't... Go ahead. I was just going to say Ducharme, in his first shootout, or in his first overtime, started with Deneau and Armia. Uh, of course... Tab's Twitter went wild and said there's no changes. Uh, Now, Desharv's explanation was I wanted Deneau to win the faceoff, and then I was going to switch him with someone else. That's great if it works, but if it doesn't work, you're you're stuck with what you're stuck with. And uh, I guess the question here is he's not breaking that line up. I get in the past they were five-on-five, one of the better (laughs) five-on-five lines in the league. But don't you think to make this Katsumi Suzuki's team, Katsumi has to move up into that second, that second line role with say a Toffoli and Gallagher. Like,
1: yeah, I, I agree. Does, but yeah, yeah I, like, I what think so.
3: The, <laughs> Keep what is the? That. <laughs> I was just going to say, what is the reasoning behind him? Cause I know he's an analytic type coach. What is he just trying to kickstart that line or is he just looking at the analytics and said, well, it's worked for the past three years.
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, and I don't think it's analytics. I just think it's like, everybody knows that that line was one of the best five on five lines, if not the best in the past year, past two years. And it's hard to move on from that, right? It's hard for them to move on from uh, Weber on the, on the power play. And it's just this ingrained hockey way of doing things. Your leaders are your leaders. You pump them out. And they, they need to take the, bite that bullet. I mean, I think Julian did it last year with Suzuki in the bubble. I mean, he, it was pretty crazy that all of a sudden they took Dano and he was clearly secondary to Suzuki. They need to do that again. And maybe they need to jump it and do Kok and Yemi in that second role. My, my only data thing that I can slip out to you guys is, and I tweeted it out a couple of days ago, is is it's clear that the organization or definitely Julian doesn't have the, um, uh, the love for Kakanyemi's defensive game quite yet. Uh, he clearly has sheltered him. I threw out a chart there that shows that Kakenyemi is really sheltered, whereas Suzuki is facing some of the stiffest competition there is. And that's twofold. One, because your coach doesn't mind you being out against the best and, Secondarily, the other team is not focusing on Deneau, who's got one goal in 51 games. They're focusing on Suzuki. Even if even if you make the argument that Suzuki is not a, a top player or that line's up, that is the top offensive threat on the team. Uh, so Kakunemi is not facing those difficulties. He's not getting the D-zone starts. He's not facing the other team's tough competition. So he, he's got to make that. The team has to put him in that responsibility slot as they say
0: well he did have some of that in the uh the play-in and the playoff and they did well I mean Deno was moved down to a third line role and they had broken up that uh that power line that they had um and with Kotkaniemi's Kutnemi, play recently he's showing a lot of what he showed during that play-in so <clears throat> looking at last night's game people who watched I mean he got the first star Kakanyemi got the first star and he only had 1249 of ice time total for the game. So you start to wonder why is he getting so little ice time if he's doing so well? And it comes to that shelter question that you brought up.
1: Yeah. And I think it could be, you could argue that it's the cart and the horse there. The reason he's doing well is because he's, he's being put in the the offensive zone face-offs. He's facing other teams, third, fourth line. Um, so when you look at the date and people love, on Twitter, people are, people say, Oh, look at the X goal percentage and all this kind of stuff. Well, I, I think it's good, but he's not facing the top end. Same with Kulak and those guys. So you can pump out those stats all you want, but they're not facing Bergeron. They're not facing, uh, Matthews and all that kind of stuff. Obviously they are, but not yeah. to the same degree.
0: And, and my uh, argument to that point would be, he's doing that well now. Why not bump up his responsibilities, test him? See how he does. Maybe yeah. give him an extra two minutes ice time.
1: <laughs> I agree, uh, but these kids got to take it a bit more seriously too. Like Suzuki and Kakunyemi on the faceoffs. I mean, I that I focused some of my data on faceoffs the past couple of days because I'm trying to ask why are they so bad on the power play and the penalty kill. And part of it is the faceoffs. They're they're starting every power play and every penalty kill, losing the faceoff, and that's Deno too. Deno is down he historically has a good face-off percentage but this year it's not good and it's actually Evans that has the top face-off on the team and his he's best on the team but it's barely average in the league so that is a serious thing and I'm not a big face-off guy like you know but the data does show you win the face-off on the penalty kill the next 30 seconds you don't have to worry about it it's out of the zone. You've just killed 30 seconds of your of your penalty kill, and they're not getting that opportunity to do that.
3: Yeah, I was looking at the stats last night on faceoffs. I think Dano's like 50% is what he is for for the year right now, 51, and Kachanin Kot- I mean, and Suzuki are 45. So uh, that's before last night's game, mind you. And last night they were only 44% yeah. on the faceoff dot. I think they were like 21% after the first period. So the third, second, and third were better, but. Uh, their penalty their face-offs has just been the,
1: yeah, yeah, I got all year. Pe- for... pe- yeah, yeah, the penalty kill I got up. So Dano's penalty kill face-off percentage is forty-one percent, which puts him outlier bad, like not even yeah okay, just outlier bad. And and that people will say, well, that only equates to three face-offs over, th- you know, three lost face-offs over a week of games or whatever. But still, that's that's enough to get one power play goal against you because you couldn't get it out. Yeah. Right.
3: <clears throat> now David's very to... inconsistent. Yeah. He'd and, be and 60%
0: want... one game and 20% the next. And you'd want all your, your centermen to be close to 50%. If they were all at about 50%, I don't think it'd be as big of an issue as it is now.
1: Yeah. I think, I think it's telling that Evans has a good uh, faceoff uh, percentage. I mean, I mean, at the beginning of the year, there's a couple of things I highlighted. Penalty kill, power play, and, C, and C4. These are the holes that they have to figure out. Um, and C4, I think, is a really important... If you're a Stanley Cup contending team, it's a red, a red alert that you have a rookie in that hole. And at any moment, your GM is probably going to... Could replace, could replace him if he's not going to be that good. And it, I think it's really telling that he's got a good uh, face-off percentage or decent... It shows that Bouchard did his work, I think. And it also shows that there's not too many rookies that have a good uh face-off percentage because the the ref, the linesmen kick them out and you know they allow the the veterans to cheat. So I think they might have a little gem here in this kid, and they gotta really keep working on him.
0: Not bad for a francophone coach in the minors. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe they need
1: to send Kakinemi and Suzuki down just for a couple of weeks and uh, work on their face off I don't know well with all
0: the uh, with all the coaching changes going on recently and we'll get into we'll get into the uh, the big change that happened last night a little bit later but for right now with all these changes, I don't see why they can't go out and find a face off specialist to help their centerman figure this out.
1: Yeah. Um, well, I think they thought that Dano was that guy. And it's really, I think, I mean, if you were Bergevin you're sitting up there, you're just like, oh my goodness, do I really need to trade him or, or tra- you know, find a 4C because I got this guy or uh, a face-off specialist. I got this guy who should be that. Do you try to correct it or do you have to go out and get one? I, I And I'm not a, I personally am not a proponent of having a face-off specialist just to sit on your bench. I think that's, that's 10, 20 years ago. I'm not sure teams can really afford to do that nowadays.
0: Well, I mean, I don't see why they wouldn't want to get a fourth, uh, another centerman to bring in that they can keep on the taxi squad and use for veterans veteran help. But my, my point was more to getting a coach, like a, a face oh, yeah. specialist coach. Um, I mean, other teams have it and they're like the LA Kings. They've been doing fairly well in the faceoff circle and have been improving skills. So I don't see why they couldn't get uh, like a a Yannick Perreault to come in and help help with some faceoffs. Yeah.
1: If, if I was a betting man, I would put a lot of money down that Bergeron is going to go get a four C by the end of the year, if they're in the playoffs. And it's not no slight against Evans. It's to your point, Blaine, that they need to have somebody on the squad just in case somebody goes down or whatever, right? I mean, he he's done that in the past. Remember. Um, Remember the fourth line with um? uh, They had like two or three really strong AHLers. This is like three or four years ago now. Uh, Ah, Martinson
3: and Otten Martinson.
1: No, but they went and traded for those guys before. Before that, who was on the fourth line? Uh, Agostini.
3: Yeah. Oh, Um,
1: Metropole. And who is the other young guy? These guys are solid. Solid you know, fringe NHLers. I I thought that they were really good, but I just don't think that he trusted them. Even though they washed out really well data wise, I don't think he trusted them and they went out and got odd and went out and got whatever. I can see him doing similar thing this year. All
0: right. Uh, What about the penalty kill? We watched, uh, we watched them play pretty strong on the penalty kill in that one game they did uh they did pretty well in the two games prior with winnipeg despite giving up a a goal against uh ehlers in that uh that 2-1 loss um after ehlers of course dove like he was shot by a sniper from the the rafters i thought Um, he was dead yeah yeah the uh the funeral homes were being called but uh it seems the penalty kill has been has shifted a little bit back towards the power kill that you had been talking about at the start of the year though that first 10 games there the canadians were really really aggressive attacking the puck carrier in the neutral zone and it seems they've gone gone back to that have have you noticed that has the data backed that up as well
1: um not really <laughs>
3: <laughs> uh, it's
1: still really too early. It's still yeah. really too early with Ducharme and what's been going on there. But um, I don't think there's been that much change other than maybe they're a bit more motivated to be a bit more aggressive. But I still think the PK is still in their zone, too passive. Yeah. Um, and I just don't know. I, I, I just really wonder if it's the personnel. I just really wonder if, if you... If they're overestimating Weber's ability, um, overestimating Lekanen, and I pick on Lekanen and Denoa. I just I just don't think those guys are world-beating penalty killers, and they're kind of treated that way. Uh, I think they need to maybe look at, in in the team, and Julian was doing that at the beginning of the season. I noticed he was having a lot of other players go on the penalty kill, and then he reeled it back a bit. I, I, there's something there. There's something there that they're not, and it could also be um, an insight to their five on five play, even though they have five great five on five numbers. This is data that's available to the public, right? So their X expected goals against and their shot metrics look fantastic, but there's something there that they're doing wrong. And I think it could possibly have to do with missing seam passes, allowing too many seam passes Maybe not covering the prop, maybe they don't have a good game plan covering the correct players. I, I'm just I'm pulling at straws here because I just don't really know what it is. And for the PK, it's a little easier. I think they're just not good with the they allow the seam passes and they're not aggressive in their own end. And I just don't think that Lekanen and Dano have the knack, the, the special knack. These guys are NHL, these guys are top tier. NHLers, like I'm not trying to say that they're garbage. They're average to below average on the PK, and I just wonder if it has to do with the style they play. They hustle. They they go hard, but that's not necessarily what the good PKer is. A good PKer is like hustling at the right moment, or getting the stick in the lane, or hiding behind coverage like Suzuki did a couple times last night. You, I, that kid has gone through a stretch. Here's my Suzuki plug. That kid has gone through a stretch where the stuff's not really working. He looks like he's Stretching himself thin a little bit, a couple of funny plays he's making, but you can see that his baseline positioning play is still top notch, and that's why the coaches love him. They know they're going to stick him out, and he's not—he's going to be in the right position. He's, he's able to steal pucks and tip pucks because he knows where to be at the right time. He knows when to slow down, he knows when to hide, and 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 reveal himself. And he made a couple of plays last night that were exactly that—that that kept the play alive because he wasn't hustling like a crazy guy like Bleckin, and he was really focused on positioning himself for the next attack.
0: Namely that uh, that zone exit where he just laid the puck out in an open area for Toffoli to step into for the empty net.
1: Yeah, exactly. And there was one forecheck I remember as well. I almost tweeted it, out, but I was too busy watching the game. There are a couple plays. One was on the penalty kill, I believe, where um, he... He was the puck was being bobbled and I noticed that you know I was thinking in my in my head if I was like in he'd be going after the puck but Suzuki knew that if he went after the puck he'd be overextending and he would probably lose the battle so what he did was slide behind the defenseman who was at the point and there was a bit of a scramble and he waited for people to reach in and then he came in and got it and he stole it and he got the puck out do just because he was calm and using his IQ so anyway that's my Suzuki plug love the kid even, even in this little slump it's having here.
0: Yeah. And on the PK, the, the, the standard saying is your penalty, your best penalty killer is your goaltender. And I'm looking at some of the high danger chances or the, the PK percentages in a, in a message you sent me uh, the goalie penalty killing profile. And I'm looking at Jake Allen and Carrie Price and they're not where I'd expect them to be. You'd expect Carey Price to be much, much higher, but he's down in in the bad zone.
1: Yeah. So I mean, everyone's going crazy for Carey Price here, and uh, I, I had a I tweeted out some some stats. You know, so again, going cascading down some of the scat stats. Five on five, his stats are actually good. You know, they're not spectacular, but he's the the team is doing well in front of him and he's doing okay. Um, but where he's not, the eye test is that he's saving the, the amazing, the, the difficult shot and he's letting it in, a, in a, a softie. That's not good, but the five on five still washing out the PK, the high danger chances, sorry, of, of the five on five again. Yeah. Super strong, super strong. Um, But it's the PK, like you said, Blaine, and the PK the team is is doing terrible for the for the for both goalies, and Price is not bailing them out. So he's giving them, he's not adding, he's he's not he's not saving them on their poor penalty kill. Whereas Jake Allen is not completely saving them, but he's he's doing better work. So his PK save percentage is ninety point six, Jake Allen, and uh, Price's is eighty four point eight. So. And this, sorry, that's the last ten games. So hopefully, we see that rise up a bit. So the, the big issue is the big the issue is the special teams. The PK is is deflating them. It's making Carey Price look bad in his overall numbers, and the power play up until last night has is not saving them.
3: Yeah, it's, Matt, it's weird to say that uh, Montreal's uh, special teams is actually what won the game last night. I don't think we could say that all season. So. No. I mean, there's a positive right there.
1: Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, and, and I mean, you guys are hockey guys, right? So it's like we tend to panic with every game and all this kind of stuff, you know, precarious price. We need to do something here. But the reality is you just, you hear Bergevin say it and lots of hockey people say it. You want to just not go in these big slumps. You want to just keep going and you just kind of got up pray to the hockey gods that you're hitting your stride at the right time and so you've got to ask yourself is can Carey Price do that absolutely so I want Carey Price between the pipes if they're making the playoffs don't you (laughs) right even if he's even if he lost five games into the playoffs I want Carey Price on my team and now that they have Jake Allen that's that's fantastic same with the no like you got to ask yourself you know He's going through a bit of a slump, but is, is he the kind of player you want in the playoffs, especially if Suzuki and Kaki are are going? Probably yes, right?
0: Well, and Kerry Price came back, uh, answered his critics. I mean, he he came out and won a game, and he played a solid game. He, he wasn't a world beater last night against Ottawa. We can all admit that. But positionally, he was much better. He, his confidence seemed a lot higher. Like For instance, that giveaway to uh to kachuk price misplayed the puck kachuk kind of overskated, turned around and was able to get a quick shot off but price no panic in his game set it got set expected the shot and it was it was an it looked like an easy stop whereas another goaltender if maybe even jake allen a little misplay like that they'd scramble and it might have been a goal so that play made me feel a little bit more confident in price going forward um, which kind of you know kind of made me wonder what they why they did what they did soon after Dom Ducharme's first NHL win and fire Stefan Waite. Um, Matt, did you have a question on that one?
2: Um we can well, we can kind of look at it this way. Um obviously Jake Allen did really good things under under that coach, under, underweight, uh, do you think that, um, that's going to change at all bringing in, uh, bringing in a new guy like Burke, like Allen did really good last year. And obviously, uh, Bergema saw that went and plucked him out of the blues and he's done really good things for Montreal. So is, is a coaching coaching change going to really make a difference with Allen, Or do you think it's, he's going to kind of stay status quo? Is-
0: is that for me or for for jason either one of you i'll let jason go you're the guest give her
1: <laughs> i don't know i'm just go, running off what you're saying blaine is that uh, this probably was in the works for a while right um you guys were um, um, Treasure talking about it before we got on here about how um you know it could have been more that they they wanted to keep burke in the organization and all that kind of stuff so behind the scenes we have no idea what's going on right so and, and a change, a change for a change. Um, I, I, you guys know that I, I've been critical of uh, Van a lot. Uh, I still will be because that's, that's you got to go right to the top when things are not going good. The beginning of the season, one of the things I underlined as well was, okay, he, he doesn't have his retool hat on anymore. This is not a rebuild. And GMs need to look at things a lot differently when they're in win mode. Um And that means you got to make decisive quick changes. Now, the NHL, you lose one game. It's not good. You know, you have to plug those holes and sometimes you pay more to plug those holes. So I guess the point I'm making is the, even if he believed that Julian's a better coach than Ducharme, if the shock of of, uh, firing him gets you five more wins, you do it. This is where you do it. It sounds terrible, but I think uh, that's part of the game as well. So Change in the organization is probably good. You need to hear new voices.
3: Uh, a stat that was brought out on Twitter that I've been kind of redoing is uh, in the first four years with uh, with Waite, who Bergevin hired in 2013 and brought over from Chicago because they worked together in Chicago, Carrie Price had a 926 save percentage. The past four years, it was 908. Now, that's just Carrie Price under Steve Waite. Now, you look at all the backups and prospects that came through the system under Steve Week that went nowhere. Mike Condon, Dustin Tokarski, Ante Niemi, uh, Keith Kincaid. Uh, the list goes on of backup Al Montoya. So everyone looks at the goaltender coach, looks at the number one goalie and thinks, well, they only work with the number one goalie. The number one goalie is the number one goalie because he's a good goalie. The coaching just kind of puts him yeah. in the place that he needs to be right? It's the yeah. other guys you got to look at and where they're going is when you have to really look at your goaltending coach and see if he's doing the right job, in my opinion, because your starter's going to be your starter. He's going to win you the games. He's going to do well, because that's why he got the starting job. But and, and what, everyone behind him. Oh, go ahead.
1: Oh, no. Uh, sorry. Keep going. Now you're
3: yeah. And then everyone behind Price, though, didn't go anywhere. Didn't improve anything. Kincaid actually got worse. Niemi got worse as he went on. Condon uh, Tokarski aren't even in the league now. I don't think. Uh, was wait, the right person for the job as long as he was, because really it's only price that was successful under. him. If, if, yeah, if I you mean, really think about
1: it. Yeah, I agree. And I, I, that's a great point in the sense that, um, Hockey and man, managing hockey, managing your program as Duba, Dubas would say, right? I like those words because it's it's not, managing a hockey team is not straightforward now. Is a goalie coach just trying to improve the goalie by, by having certain exercises or is it greater than that? Is it understanding the psyche? Is it saying, you know, he needs a week off, let's take give him a week off or let's have programs in place, competition or whatever that change the, the, the mind and all that, that that what you might call fluffy piece but those aspects of the game are becoming bigger in hockey now um, Jack Han I think you guys follow him on Twitter too he's like I love that guy he's really good and he gets into those kinds of things and he's hinted to he's hinted a lot to the Habs organization being critical on their their development their poor development uh, and I would tack on on top of that, maybe thinking outside the box as well and thinking about those other elements of the game, psychology and all those pieces, data analytics that are going to help you. Do you just focus on practice and system or what are all those other bubbles that you're looking at? So it goes to your point, Trez, that, I mean, younger, different different minds are going to look at things differently. I think one of the goal was it Matt Murray last night? He didn't dress, right? Right, right. They, gave him the, they gave him the day or two off or something like that. And somebody on Twitter also said, like, that's interesting. Th- these little things, like, you have to ask yourself why are these teams doing this and why are the Habs not doing it? Why aren't they saying go shopping, uh, go fly back home for a day or two or whatever to price? And I don't know.
0: Well, with the hiring of Sean Burke now uh, in a new position that they, they named uh, director of goaltending, it seems like they're going in that direction of a program, as you mentioned, um, before it was just gold, a goalie coach and they had a goalie coach for each level. Now it's director of goaltending and they all fall under him as it, it's almost as if he is now elevated to an assistant GM position with an entire department underneath him. And it does seem to be pointing in that direction. I mean, the Florida Panthers started, uh, started with this kind of program. I think this season at the start of this season and, Sean Burke is known a little bit as uh, as a goaltending whisperer because he's gone around, he's been a goalie coach at different levels and he's improved them. So now they've put him in charge of this program where uh, I'm not sure what resources are provided to him just yet, but it does seem that he is, he's given a, a promotion, a raise, uh, a staff. So I would not be surprised if they went in the direction you mentioned, Jason, uh, of a, uh, of an all-encompassing program that includes the mental aspect of the game, uh, not just the technical side, uh, all of it. Because uh, Jack Ann is right, the Canadians have been horrible on the developmental side with goaltending, which is ironic considering <clears throat> Montreal is known as a uh, known for its great goalies over its uh, over a hundred plus years. I mean, no no Montreal Canadian team has ever won a Stanley Cup without a great goaltender in between the pipes so it's it it just seems a little little odd that they haven't been more proactive with this so this is the direction I think they're taking I, I, I don't know what what you guys what your take is on it but feel free to let us know I mean uh anyone you just jump right in
2: for me we've seen some failures within the organization to come to goaltending um one of them being Fucali and bo- obviously both of you guys being in Halifax, you guys got to see him play quite a bit. Um, when I was back visiting family, I was able to see him play a couple times in Moncton or St. John and um, really like what I saw. And then the Canadians drafted him and I was like, hmm, we might have something here. We, obviously we saw that his career hasn't necessarily taken off the way that we were going to. Um, another one was um, Charlie Lindgren was a guy that kind of came in and, seemed to play bigger in the moment. He he looked better in the NHL than he did in the AHL. And now he's a fringe AHL starter slash taxi squad type guy. And um, it's all come back to price. It's all come back to price. It's all come back to price. And um, I've noticed that they still have a gem in their organization. They still got a guy like Caden Primo and he, and they seem to be, um, I'm not going to necessarily say sheltering him, but they're. It looks like they're, they're they're kind of um, grooming. Yeah, they're kind of grooming him. They 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 know that there's an opportunity that they might lose Jake Allen in the expansion draft, and Bouchard has kind of came out and said like, "This is my guy. This is my starter." I'm gonna look at the goaltending that they have right now. They've got McNeven. They got Demchenko. They got Lindgren, and they've got Primo all fighting for position right now. In a season in the AHL that really means nothing. It's it, they're they're really just playing to play right now. There's no playoffs. There's no there's no championship. There's no nothing. This is more or less a development year for him. Um, so so my my take on my take on this is they've had their failures within the organization, and I and I think that uh, Primo is going to be the guy that. Is, is going to be the guy that they kind of put a light on and say, you know, in the past we had our bumps, but look what we're kind of, look what we have now. And I, and I, and I think that, that, um, that'll be, that'll be kind of like a, a telling sign of what's to come within this new role for Sean Burke.
0: Well, with all these internal hires, I mean, Sean Burke, Dom Descharm, uh, all these promotions with, from within, uh, Alex Burroughs, um, I'm going to ask Jason this one. Do you think it signals that Molson doesn't have that trust that people think he does and he's not letting uh, Bergevin have the latitude to go higher elsewhere? Um, Maybe just because it's his last year, next year?
1: Um, I I think, no, I think, um, I think this is an example of really good succession planning on their part. I mean, when they hired Ducharme, Bouchard, burrows what was it three years ago now um yeah something
4: like that yeah yeah
1: uh i mean every i think we all said these are top end people these are not just you know um former uh assistants and stuff like that these are guys are head leaders and so i just think that that was probably even at the time they hired them i'm sure the molson and um Bergevin had that conversation said that these are guys if we want to keep them we're going to need to promote them so let's groom them and and promote them I I I totally think that I totally think that these guys are their guys even
2: the uh even the goaltending coach they have in the AHL that Mariano he was he coached with Ducharme and Bouchard so we're seeing a lot of similarity and like he's and he was in the organization before Ducharme or Bouchard so we're seeing a lot of uh a lot of uh friends and acquaintances coming back together within the organization
3: yeah, well, i mean success, look, I, I was just gonna say for success coaching staff has to gel as well so i mean yeah. like if your coaching staff doesn't gel together it's just like a line in hockey if it's not gelling together it's not going to be successful so if you have guys that are similar in minded and worked together before and had success why not put them together
2: so maybe we can bring the Sedins in to help with the power play with burrows then See what happens there.
1: <laughs>
0: They're free agents. We can sign them up.
2: There
1: you go. You heard it here first. <laughs> yeah, they brought in Marty, Marty St. Louis, uh, if you guys remember last year, into Columbus and because they've had a poor power play for quite a while. He wasn't able to make improvements there. I mean... I mean I think you can only go so far with the system when it comes to the power play and coaching like you really act, you need the horses you need the creativity from the players themselves so yeah it'll be interesting but I I yeah I totally think that the these coaches are were already set up to be there I mean you look at Drew end to me he looks like a different guy he he's even in the losing like he's happier he looks like he's feels responsible for the team on the ice if that makes sense I'm really into that feeling the responsibility kind of thing and he uh he was definitely somebody who i thought this was the year that he's gonna fall off the radar and it's the complete opposite has happened so far so very good his,
2: his compete level seems to be a little bit higher in the last couple of games that's for sure it's nice to see him shooting the puck and i've been very critical on him for a long time i'm not shooting the puck and just just the little things and the small chances. And, you know, he's playing the body a little bit more as well, which we never saw from him. We always saw him kind of shy away from more or less the defensive side. And it's just more or less like, hey, guys, I'm over here, you know, pass yeah. the puck to me, and, and that was it. And uh, he made some good plays last night, just, just turning his skates the right way and getting into lanes. And I, I like that aspect of his game. And it's kind of funny that we see that under – Sherm, who is more of an offensive minded coach rather than a coach that he played under now for the last few years, being very defensive minded. And now we're seeing that aspect of his game kind of take off in the last three games.
3: He's playing the way he did in Halifax is the way he's playing now. He, he didn't have a bad 200 foot game in Halifax. Um, so uh, and no coincidence that his coach in Halifax was Dom Ducherm. So Hmm. It is what it is. But I'm a big (laughs) Druid fan, so.
0: Um, Yeah, it it does seem like uh, the new voice taking over in the room kind of uh, breathed new life into some of the younger players. Um, You know, um, uh, and this is what the GM mentioned in his press conference. And as we record, it's Wednesday, March 3rd. Uh, It's about noon. Uh, Mark Bergevin is about to address the media uh, publicly more than likely about the new hiring with uh, Sean Burke. So in his last press conference, that's what he was talking about was those new voices. And this more than likely is what he's going to address when it comes to Sean Burke, a new voice, because Treg, you mentioned it. Uh, I believe Grant McCagg of recruits.ca mentioned the same thing where the beginning of his term with the team price had good numbers and then they started to fall off. You bring in a new voice, There's some other minor tweaks and changes, uh, a new approach, and players respond to that. And then they'll step in and and usually raise their games a little bit. Um, And uh, speaking of raising our game, hey, fellas, we're in the thick of winter and the storms are brewing. It looks like one to three inches are in the forecast when you trim that hibernation bush and that's taking place in your pants. Luckily, our partners at Manscaped specialize in products to make sure you're walking around town with beautiful snowballs. Manscaped is here to provide you with the best tools for your grooming experience, offering precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. The Lawnmower 3.0 Trimmer is the best hygiene tool product for the modern man. Because of the ceramic blade and advanced skin-safe technologies, your snags on your snowballs will be produced. The trimmer is also waterproof, so you can trim in the shower, or a jacuzzi if you're some kind of a savage. Uh, Manscaped Performance Package is the best buy of 2021. The Performance Package comes with the new and improved lawnmower 3.0 Weed Whacker, ear and nose hair trimmer, performance boxer briefs, and a travel bag. Have you ever noticed how nasty nose and ear hair is? In fact, 79% of partners polled admitted that long nose hair is a major turnoff. Might as well use the best tools to do the job. This bundle also comes with a Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Toner. The Crop Preserver is anti-chafing ball deodorant that will make your balls smell nice and make you feel your testes are walking in a winter wonderland. The Crop Reviver is a spray-on toner for your balls. It's made with soothing aloe and witch hazel extracts that will make your balls look up at you and say thanks. And if they do look up, uh, change change your medication. Don't get cold feet this winter. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code unfiltered20 at manscaped.com. They also have a ton of other amazing men's hygiene products on their website from disposable mats, four-year pews, to foot deodorant. 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code unfiltered20. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code unfiltered20. Thanks, Manscaped, for making our winter wieners look so good. Whew. Not
2: a bad ad. I, I, I still, I still smile at that promo, and I looked at Jason <laughs> a few times, and he's just kind of grinning as well.
0: Well, you know, you gotta, you gotta get the, uh, you gotta get those ad reads in when you can.
3: How come the Canadians don't have like Weber do that during the intermission or something? Like, because uh, I don't Manscaped think he said more than them. five
0: words in his entire tenure in Montreal.
3: <laughs> get caught yammy to do it. <laughs> actually since uh Cotton is he Yemi old put enough to shave t- down there uh, i don't know since <laughs> cut give put that little uh saying on his stick the uh get angry yeah. uh what was it get you, angry or you mf for yeah motherfucker yeah. Uh oh sorry sorry mother oh, yeah. mother lover um
2: <laughs> that's my thing uh, I'm, the, I'm the guy that swears <laughs> yeah that's true uh, yeah, now, that-
0: before, before we end everything here, uh, we had a question come in from one of our avid listeners. Um, so Pierre Lirette sent us an email at Habs Unfiltered at outlook.com. And he, he thanks us for giving him the chance to ask this question. I've, I thought it was a good one. So I'm going to throw it to Jason. Uh, I think that Ben Sherratt has been a liability on defense lately. If anyone was getting a night off, I would have liked it to be him. Why isn't he getting time off? So that's Piotr's question. Um, I want to leave it to you, Jason, to kind of address what you think of it.
1: No, this is, these questions are great. I love this question because all those guys, whether it's Weber, Sherratt or Edmondson, they're very polarizing. In uh, on Habs yeah. Twitter, it's it's quite incredible. Uh, so for Sherrod, same thing last year. You know, you you had people in the bubble. Uh, you know, guys like uh, Biexa uh, and all these guys saying that this these guys are like amazing, and then you have people on Twitter saying, ah, they're garbage. You got to get them off. So it is quite incredible. Anyway, he, by the numbers, Sherrod and Weber have been fantastic this year, except when they hit this ten great uh, ten game stretch they kind of tailed off. Like, did they tail off in a, into a dumpster? Definitely not. Um, but, I mean, hockey is a game of adjustments, right? So, I think teams are focusing on them. They're trying to get on them a bit. And um, I think it's Laurie on, uh, on Twitter mentioned the other day that, um, you know, like maybe he's doing – looks seems like he's doing a bit too much, right? Um, you know, but still, even if the eye says that, the data, if you like – data it says that he's doing okay they're not allowing a lot of high danger chances those two guys they're not um they're they're on the right side of of uh the shots metrics what people i think don't like is that they're not it seems that the play dies on their stick which again is something laurie said and it could be true but from a very basic hockey perspective as a coach you're sitting there and this would be julian your number one priority is to get uh, that damn puck out of the zone, right? And then we'll ask questions later. Like true Hawks, conservative hockey coaches give you five marks right for that alone. And that's what they tend to do. Weber Tarot tends to get it out of his zone. Do you like where it ends up when it gets out of the zone? Maybe not. It's not a breakaway pass. It's not a wicked creative pass, but it gets out of the zone. So it depends on what you value, I guess, right? And I've said this about Edmondson as well, is that obviously. Bergevin is valuing that aspect of the game. Get away from the high danger zone, which the Habs have been good at uh, limiting high danger chances against get it out of our zone, which they've been good at full marks. It's the rest of the game that they don't wash out very well. Right. And the eye test doesn't wash out either. You see Carlson, you see uh, all these other defensemen making these nice little dipsy doodles and doing a nice pass that sets up their, their forwards for success. The Habs don't set their forwards up for success. They do a lot of work to grind it out themselves. That's the team they built. So it depends on what you're measuring. When you talk about performance, the first question you're going to ask is, what they, what are you measuring? And the Habs would measure high danger chances and getting it out of the zone. And for that reason, those guys get full marks. You see them sit Kulak. And why is that? Because his breakouts look pretty darn good, right? It's because a gaffe here, one or two gaffes, uh, and you let a high danger chance or an odd man rush, as soon as you let that happen, your coach is saying, ah, I don't like that. I want to eliminate that completely. And that's the kind of game that the Habs like. Whether you like it or not, that's what they're measuring against.
0: Yeah, yeah. And when you have a goaltender like Kerry Price and Jake Allen even um, – if you can keep high danger chances down to a minimum there, you would expect those two goaltenders to take care of the easier shots, the so-called easier shots. And that, that goal differential should improve just based on that alone. So uh, that that's, I agree with you. I think that's the view that the the GM and the coach prior coach was taking when they, they wanted these guys in these, these spots. Um, and I, yeah.
1: You could argue the opposite, though, right? Yeah. If you have good goalies, well, maybe you should play a, a bit more risky game. Yeah. Um, and Edmondson, if you ask me what kind of marks I give him, I give the guy full marks. He's doing what they're asking him to do, and the stats are bearing out. The only argument you can have against Bergevin and Edmondson is that as a fan, you don't want that kind of player there. You, you, what you want is Tory Krug or what you want, you know, every fan wants that fantastic puck moving defenseman but if he's not there and you can't get that um, then obviously the organization has chosen to double down on these kinds of defensemen
3: I personally think they should go back to the 80s 90s style of a puck mover with a stay-at-home guy on each line and I think that's the the argument with Sherratt and Weber together is that they'll both improve if you put them in different scenarios so Weber with a a Tory Krug type player or a... Mete. No, not Mete. Mete. <laughs> not Mete. It does not work.
1: But the, um, the, they, I'm going to cut you off. The, the stats bear that out. If you look at Weber and Mete when they've been together, which is not a massive sample, but it's, it's, not, a, it's not super small. It's like 20 games or whatever. They have been fantastic. The well, there you go. You know your data. They have been good. They have been good. But so has
3: Kulak Very and Petrie. Kulak exactly. and Petri are very good together. So, do we put Mete and Weber, Kulak and Petri, and Romanov and Edmondson, Sheraton, and then Sherato? I mean, I have been defending Mete. You can tell the last few weeks. You can ask these guys. I've no, been, he hasn't. He's been he's been throwing him under the bus. I have. So, uh, I just don't see Mete. I just don't think Mete can handle a top line, top four minutes type game. It's not his Man, play
1: with Weber. I, I look at Brandstrom, uh, in in um, Ottawa, and I'm like, Mete can do ninety percent of what that guy does. He he's higher end in the zone with how you know his ability to score and pass. But the breakout piece and and ninety five percent of the game, it looks just like Mete. Brandstrom, I, the but, Habs well, nice should be. They got to work with that. They need to work with that.
3: But Mete can't do anything else.
1: <laughs> but that's a really big part of the game. Maybe Romanov. Maybe Romanov needs to get
2: Mete in practice, like he did Branstrom the other day, and wake him up a little bit.
1: <laughs> yeah. I I
3: Romanov, up, yeah, I think Romanov would pair nicely with Weber, to be honest with you. Yeah. Personally,
1: to be to be overly honest, and um, uh, Patrick uh, from Eyes on the Prize is not going to like saying this. Uh, everyone's super high on Romanov. But they don't have somebody in the organization that is that top-end skill, puck-moving guy. I don't think Romanov's that. I, I, I don't want to be – I'm not here to bash or whatever. I hope he does get there, but I don't see that level of skill. His skating is amazing, and his shooting is he, – he hit the crossbar twice. on. Like, they're going to get really good value out of him. Like Petrie, for example. You know, Petrie is super high value, but he doesn't have that je ne sais quoi – skill that Quinn has or that Krug has or you know what I mean? And if you don't have that, you try I don't think you need to, I don't think you can try to pretend that you have it in Kulak and think he's gonna do that because he can't.
3: No, no. they might get it with Norlander.
1: Yes. I'm rarely interested in Norlander looks kid. promising. Yeah.
3: I I do see I do see
0: some upside on Romanov's game. I do see him as someone who could possibly step into a top line role eventually. Um, and you're right. He doesn't have that elite skill. He's more of a, a little bit of a Jack of all trades with, with an excellent skating base. So.
4: Yeah.
1: And and guys who survived. Yeah. Like uh, Nick Letty, uh, Brody. I would classify those guys the same mold as, as Roman. Well, I mean, different, but the ability to skate and to move and to get the puck in the right spot, but they don't have that crazy elite skill. To finish no. and to make plays.
3: Markov, Markov's a perfect comparison. Markov never. Oh, I had think any Markov. Skill. Markov was. Yeah, elite. but I
1: think he had that je ne sais quoi. You know the thing that Suzuki has, the thing that um, Tofoli has. These guys that don't have the physical skill, but they have this unbelievable uh, creativity. You know what I mean?
0: That feel for the game, the way they read yeah. the game and anticipate the plays. I know they. Yeah. People boil it down to just calling it hockey IQ, but there's more to it than just that.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like Petrie is a great example. The guy has an unbelievable physical skill and he's a super pro that has figured out how he can maximize everything. Got a hard shot. He knows how to pass, but I wouldn't give him if I was making uh, NHL 2001, I wouldn't give him like a hundred percent out of hockey. IQ. I wouldn't give him hundred percent passing. I wouldn't give him a hundred percent, uh, sniping and and snapping the shot like uh you know kale mccarr and and quinn and these guys but he's he's developed himself to get the max out of everything but his ability to do that is based my, my personal view is based on the just the crazy physical skill he has he's so strong he can skate and he's succeeded with that
0: guys you got anything uh any last questions for for jason
2: I personally don't. I just want to thank you for being on the show. And obviously you're welcome anytime. We're My pleasure, that... man.
1: I'm, I'm glad you had me back on.
2: Absolutely. We're glad that you enjoy the commercial. <laughs> <laughs> Probably next time you're on, you're going to have something new and you'll snicker at that one too. So it's all good.
3: Uh, I don't, uh, That's again, Jason, thanks for having you on. I love your tweets. I love, uh, I've used them a couple of times in arguments I've had with people about things, especially with Edmondson. Um, <laughs> and, uh, I just want to say happy, uh, 57th birthday to Blaine Potvin. <laughs> um, it's good. It's, uh, you're, I, you're I prefer the long. name Pepper. I, uh, I got, I got you a walker. I just have to, uh, meet up with you to give it to you just so that you can, uh, do you got the tennis balls for the, uh, I do. I do. Cause you, you okay. need them on the ship. So, you know, that's right. You know, I,
1: yeah. So yeah, happy birthday, Blaine. You're looking good, man. Looking good for 67.
3: Well, you know, I I do what I can, you know.
0: <laughs> I don't post gym selfies like other people, but I mean we there. know you're
1: well, you, we and we know you're well groomed in other areas other than your face, so that's, uh, well, yeah. that's good to know.
0: He has I just to want to make, make it that. clear that I have two grooming tools, a top and a bottom. I don't mix nice. them up.
1: Don't mix that shit up.
2: No.
3: <laughs> well, he thinks he doesn't mix it up.
2: <laughs> it's just sometimes he starts here and it starts going down, down, down. And he's like, "Oh, wait a minute, gotta switch, gotta switch, get a switch."
0: <laughs> so yeah, I'd like to uh, thank you guys for for those uh, heartfelt, warm wishes. <laughs> so touching. <laughs> and uh, Jason, I really want to thank you for coming back on. Uh, as the as the other guys have mentioned, you're always welcome here, uh, friend of the show, Jason Paul. Thank you very, very much. Um, why don't you let our listeners know where they can find some of your work?
1: Yeah, uh, my website is uh, waveintel.org, and I've got a few tools that you guys know there. You can go in and plug in players' names and teams and spit out all kinds of stuff and throw it on the uh, interweb so that you can win your arguments as needed. And you can find me at Twitter at waveintel. Uh, that's it. See you on Twitter.
0: Right on. Thanks a lot, Jason. And for our listeners, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching on YouTube. Remember we have a giveaway that's on, uh, that's going on right now. We're giving away uh, Terry Ryan's latest book. Uh, if you follow us on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, just definitely YouTube. <laughs> we really want to grow our YouTube, uh, our YouTube channel. So give us follows uh, like subscribe, give us five-star ratings. You know, we love that stuff, especially cause you know, As the guy said, it's my birthday. I deserve something. Uh, And I'm going to give you a gift if you do follow. So you'll win uh, an autographed Terry Ryan novel. And uh, again, thanks for listening. And remember, if you were talking about it, so are we.